0: All right, let me invite you to, to take a Bible, either your own Bible or one that's in the chair racks uh, in front of you, uh, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, if you're using a Bible on the rack in front of you, you can find 1 Kings 11 on page 370, and this is what we're going to do this morning, all right? We're going to use 1 Kings 11 to do two things. We're going to use it first to set up uh, the reception of new members in celebration of the Lord's Supper that's going to happen uh, in a little bit. That's the first thing it's going to set up. The preaching of the word always does that. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we preach the word because it sets up, it gives context to, uh, to, to what we do when we come to the table. But the second thing, the second purpose of looking at 1 Kings 11 this morning is with a little bit of a longer horizon. Uh, we're going to be studying over the next few months um, in the Bible uh, this uh, this uh, uh, this book, first uh, the end of First Kings and the and the entirety of of Second Kings. Now we're not going to look at every chapter in it, uh, but we are going to survey it to understand uh, how God was faithful to the people of Israel in the years and the centuries following uh, the death of King Solomon. There'll be plenty of time to get into all of that. But what I want to do this morning is I want to rewind and look at 1 Kings 11, which is where we see the last days of King Solomon. 1 Kings 11 is actually uh, the, the chapter that we ended with back in 2022 when we studied the reign of King Solomon. Remember the sermon series from 2002? Me neither, really, yeah. Right, at least not in detail. So that's where we're going to rewind in order to go to go forward right And the way that I want to do that is a bit different and it's going to be a bit painful for uh, the person doing the the, the slides but uh, through the first part of this we're gonna read this text it's a very long text in first Kings 11 we're gonna read it kind of in pieces and we'll stop uh, as we go and we'll make a, a couple of comments uh, the, the first the first part of what we're gonna do in reading through first Kings 11 and commenting on it is really to review and do some analysis of Solomon's big problems he had some big problems uh, towards the end of his life uh, and as we read through the text we're going to we're going to see that and that's going to set up the division that will uh, that will occur following his death and what we'll be studying this winter and then after that after we read through the text in, in pieces and we talk about solomon's big problems we're going to run through a quick list of big lessons that i think we can learn as a as a church as members of the church uh, as people who come to celebrate the lord's supper together um, and as we enter the new year together so that's what we're going to do big problems and and big lessons now first as we read through this text let's look at these big problems let's let's walk through this text in pieces and we'll start with verses 1 to 13 so if you have your bible open right start chapter uh, 11 of first kings uh, starting at verse 1 we're going to read about solomon's personal problems to start first kings 11 starting at verse 1 listen to god's word now king solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of pharaoh moabite ammonite edomite sidonian For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, On the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. This is God's word. Now... For the first problem the foundational problem we see here solomon turned away from god specifically his heart turned away from god All right you see that it starts with his love it says in verse one his love for foreign women and even if you could even if you could rationalize the 700 wives of royal birth as somehow some sort of political uh, strategic uh, scheme which you can't by the way you can't rationalize, can't rationalize that away but even if you could try the 300 concubines, mistresses who didn't even meet the status of a wife, that would tip you off, if that's all you had, to the fact that Solomon had a big problem here. And it's not the external sin that's actually of most concern. It's the fact that his heart was not devoted to God, right? He set up places of worship to foreign gods. Started, obviously, in response to requests from his, his wives, and then he ended up participating in them as well. And God, justifiably, is angered by this angered because it was in direct contradiction of his law a law that god had put in place to protect the dignity of his name and to protect the happiness of humanity that's why god gave gave the people of israel his law and solomon's heart had turned away from it he had serious personal problems right? that's the first uh, that's the first big problem he had now second let's keep reading let's look at verse 14 he also had some political problems right so this is first kings 11 starting at verse 14 i'll read through the end of verse 25 And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house in Edom. For when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad fled to Egypt together with certain Edomites of his father's servants, Hadad still being a little child. They set out from Midian and came to Paran and took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him an allowance of food and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tapanes, the queen. And the sister of Tapanes bore him Genuboth, his son, whom Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Genuboth was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadab heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadab said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, what have you lacked with me that you are now seeking to go to your own country? And he said to him, only let me depart. And God raised up as an adversary to him, Razon the son of Eliada, who had fled from his master Hadadezar, king of Zobah. And he gathered men about him and became leader of a marauding band after the killing by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. This also is God's word. Now, God raises up, you know, all the details and stuff, right? It's going to be a struggle to remember, right? But this is the point. God raises up two men to struggle against Solomon. Two problems, political problems. Neither of these men are Israelites. You've got Hadad in the south. He's an Edomite. Edomites were descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob, who was the father of the the Israelites, right? So you've got bad blood that goes back in these families a long way. And Hadad specifically, Hadad the Edomite, was a victim of David's wars, Solomon's father, and was apparently waiting for David's death to come back from exile in Egypt to cause trouble, and that's what he did for Solomon came back, a political enemy of Solomon's father David, came back to cause trouble in Israel. Now, Razon, this other guy, right, if, 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 if Hadad is in the south, Razon is in the north in the kingdom of Zobah. Now, this too, this hostility is also rooted in David's wars. Razon apparently had never accepted defeat at the hand of David, and he formed a band of sort of guerrilla warfare, uh, guerrilla warriors to trouble Solomon based out of Damascus right? So you've got political problems. The point is you've got political problems for Solomon from the outside. You've got his own personal heart, right? That was number one. Now you've got external political problems. Now, he also had, <laughs> he also had political problems on the inside. We'll call these legacy problems, right? What's going to happen after he, after he dies? Let's keep reading. Now, verse 26. Verse 26, going to verse 40, okay? Jeroboam, right? So now we're talking about people internal to the kingdom. Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, an Ephraimite of Zeradah a servant of Solomon whose mother's name was Zerah a widow also lifted up his hand against the king and this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king Solomon built the millow and closed up the breach of the city of David his father the man Jeroboam was very able and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph and at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you 10 tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milkan, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping uh, keeping my statutes and my rules, as David my father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you ten tribes yet to his son I will give one tribe that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem the city where I have chosen to put my name and I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires and you shall be king over Israel and if you will listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, who was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. All right, now this is foreshadowing stuff that we're going to talk about in coming weeks. Kingdom divides after Solomon and here's, here's, here's how it's, it's going to happen. But the point for us in looking at the problems of Solomon, he had political problems from the outside, yeah historical enemies that weren't israelites but jeroboam is from the inside he was an israelite from the tribe of ephraim and he was a rising star he was a hot prospect in solomon's government he had a significant role in the king's construction projects but in response to solomon's idolatry and in solomon's turning away from god god speaks to jeroboam through the prophet and tells him that he's going to become king over 10 of the original tribes of egypt now it's not going to happen until after solomon dies it's going to be a problem for solomon's son to deal with But that doesn't keep solomon from trying to deal with jeroboam to kill jeroboam and that's what he tries to do all kinds of terrible political internal problems jeroboam escapes he goes to egypt he flees there he bides his time until solomon dies which of course eventually happens now that leads us to the very end of the chapter The, the ultimate problem that solomon and all of us face finish the chapter verse 41 to 43 now the rest of the acts of solomon and all that he did and his wisdom Are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. This concludes the reading of God's word. Now that's what happened. That's what went wrong. Solomon's love shifted from God to, to other things. And in judgment, God raised up enemies. Enemies from the outside, enemies from the inside. And that those enemies and solomon's own actions as king eventually led to a kingdom that would split apart and then solomon died boom i mean that's that's where some pastor ended the sermon series in 2022 on that very cheery note what kind of a depressing pastor would do something like that right these are big problems very big problems and over the coming weeks we'll talk about God's faithfulness in the midst of what occurs next but just real quickly as we end here let's maybe glean a couple of lessons from this as we start the new year together what can we learn from this what are the big lessons well I think there's I think there's five let's take through them five lessons that we can learn lesson number one cracks start small the kingdom will crack it will break apart but the cracks start small in other words we fall into sin long before we fall into disgrace think of it like this if you were to get, go over to wall municipal airport and get on an airplane because I know that's where you keep your private jet and you were to fly do uh, do uh, West and were attempt to go entirely around the world and land in the same spot but you took off and you were just one degree off just one degree there's 360 right in a full circle you're just one degree off and you flew all the way around the world you know how far off you'd be by the time you got back to this hemisphere about 450 miles north or south, depending on which way you went. To the north, that's like north of Ottawa, Canada, right? Just a small degree of difference at the beginning results in a very big de- degree of difference as time goes on, right, that's what happens. Think about this spiritually, right? Every day you make decisions that in that instance seem to make no per- perceptible difference, but when you put them out over a lifetime, you end up in a very different country. <laughs> From where you intended to land that's what happened to to Solomon now this is what can happen to us if we're not careful right no pilot flying over the world would ever expect to stay on course and land in the same place unless that pilot is regularly making adjustments the entire flight corrections even autopilot even if it's not the pilot doing it. that's what autopilot is doing constantly adjusting for wind speed and course and navigation to stay on the correct course the lesson that we can learn from Solomon here is to make your corrections while the differences are small. Take sin seriously when it's small, not in a legalistic way, right? Showing others how morally superior you are, right? But because you love God, because you hate anything, even if it's small, that could take you off course. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, gifts aren't enough. Great spiritual gifts, they're not enough. In other words, your giftedness does not guarantee the condition of your heart, right? Did the question ever occur to you in all of this, if Solomon was so wise, so brilliant, right? We call Solomon, Solomon the wise. If he was so wise, if he was so brilliant, how could he, of all people, done these things? His wisdom was a gift from God. And there were times, many times, when his wisdom was, was beautifully, brilliantly on display. But see, too often we confuse a person's gifts with a person's heart, right? Solomon didn't fall because what he wrote in the Proverbs was wrong. He fell because he failed to be in love with the God to whom those Proverbs pointed. So what do we do? Well, if you're evaluating your own spiritual condition, right, then you have to understand, you have to re- your external productivity is not the measure of your internal spiritual heart. Your external productivity can be very misleading. You can be serving in all kinds of important ways, but that in and of itself may not speak to the condition of your heart. Honestly, ask yourself this question. This is the... This is the the lesson, right? What's the condition of my attitude towards God? What is the greatest object of my affection? Stick to the aviation metaphor, right? I'm not talking about your, your, your distance from the final destination. I'm not talking about your speed. I'm not talking about the course. I'm talking about what instrument will you use to judge whether you're off course or not? The instrument that you use to judge whether you're off course or not is not your gift-o-meter or your productivity-o-meter. It is a heart-meter. And only the Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit and the community of other people can help you with that. Now, it's pretty depressing if we just stop there. Those lessons, okay, I'm just... You actually think about your own life and you're like, one degree, man, I'm probably off a lot more than that. Where am I going to end up? Well, let's see. There's more lessons. Lesson three... Lesson three, God's in control. You hear that? God's in complete control. And we see that specifically in the case of the discipline that he's prom- promising to bring against Solomon's kingdom. If you go back and you look at verse 35, where God is talking through the prophet to Jeroboam, right? See how he phrases it. He says, "I will take the kingdom out of his son's hands, out of Solomon's hands, and I will give it to you. that is Jeroboam, 10 tribes. You see that? Who's in control of all this that's happening? God is. He's the one who's going to take it and he's going to give it. He hasn't relinquished control, not for a second. Now, at a broader level, that should be somewhat comforting to all of us during any time of political uncertainty, nationally, internationally, whatever. But at a personal level, as you consider your own life, right, it also means that God is in complete control even of your disobedience and its consequences. Right? This is what I mean. This is why this is so comforting. If you're suffering through the consequences of personal Sin, poor decisions in your own life, fractured relationships, right, addictions, destructive behavior, and they're your fault. Or if you're suffering through the consequences of sin more broadly, like disease, like the prospect of, of physical death. Or if you're suffering because of the sin and the consequences of something that has been done against you or to you. In any of those categories where you may be suffering hope starts with the truth that there is a god who is sovereignly ruling over all of it and that's really that's really helpful when we think about the why questions of our lives we may not be able to get into the specifics of why we are experiencing particular areas of suffering but a god who is in control tells us that there is one to whom we can go in the midst of those questions that's lesson three god's still in control Now, lesson number four, God's not done. And and, and he's not done with his promise to David and to Solomon. And that means that he's not done with his promises to you. Look at verse 39, right? Yes, Solomon's kingdom is going to experience the consequences of sin. But there's a but. Did you see? There's a but. I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. What's that mean? right go back to verse 35 which we just read i will take the kingdom out of his son's hands i will give it to you ten tribes now keep reading yet to his son i will give one tribe that david my servant may always have a lamp before me in jerusalem the city where i chose to put my name what's happening judgment is coming the kingdom of solomon is going to be split but the judgment is on a leash and it will be mitigated it will be directed it will be controlled by god's faithfulness to a promise a promise that was made way back to the patriarch Jacob, Israel himself, that the scepter, the, 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 the rule of the king, would not depart from Jacob's son Judah. And it was because of that promise that God chose David, Solomon's father, from the tribe of Judah to be king. And it was to David that God extended the promise of a forever king through his line. You still got your Bible, right? If you can, turn to this. We're going to keep coming back to this promise a number of times this winter. It's the most, one of the most important passages in the history of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Right, 2 Samuel is the book before 1 Kings. Right, I want to remind you of this connection so often that it's almost automatic. 2 Samuel 7, starting in the middle of verse 11. This is God speaking to David through the prophet Nathan. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Right? You see what he's saying here? Solomon did wrong, but that wrong did not surprise God. And it doesn't negate the promise. The kingdom of David's son Solomon, the lamp in Jerusalem, it's going to continue. Right? And you go to Matthew chapter one and you look at just one verse in Matthew chapter one, verse seven. And what does it say? It says Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Solomon's name where is it located in a list of names in the genealogy of who the genealogy of Jesus a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David Jesus is the son of of who he's the son of Solomon God wasn't done things are going to get very bleak for the people of God all right the unity of the kingdom is going to be broken there's going to be a few good kings we'll look at this winter not very many but God's not done the prophets would largely be ignored throughout the centuries that were, were to come, but God wasn't done. He kept his promises. He preserved the tribe of Judah. He preserved the line of David and Solomon because it was from that line that Messiah would come. And folks, that's where our hope is. As we come and as we align ourselves with this God, that's where our hope is, that God isn't done, that there is a Messiah who takes away our sin, who wipes away all of our iniquity. And so when we put our trust and our faith in him, we can have the assurance that God is not only not done with the world, he is not done with us. Come to him in the midst of your big problems and you will find the solution that only he can provide. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of who you are and that in the midst of the problems that we face, you are active, you are working, and that you will not fail to be faithful to your promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.